So at one point in my life, I had muscles, and now I kind of have uh, mush. Mush is what I have. Our two oldest boys like to build their muscles, which works out really great for me, because when I need something done in the yard or whatever, I say, hey, can you guys move this or do this, because I'm old. <laughs> what, what is this groaning going on? <laughs> Um, on the other hand, I do like to remind them that I have this thing. It's called old man strength. So I, I tell them about this every now and then, and then every now and then I demonstrate it to them just a little bit so that they, they recognize that it's not really completely and only mush that I have. Well, when I was their age, I had some muscles too, and my dad used to tease me with this expression in various ways. Are those things just ornaments, or are you going to help me? (laughs) The point is, what good are muscles or big muscles if we don't use them to get the job done? God has graciously, abundantly, gifted us with spiritual gifts. And we should desire to distribute that grace for the benefit of others and the glory of God in the other direction. In the glory of God and the benefit of others. This should be our desire to be channels of God's glorious grace. So this morning as we look at just a couple of concepts in our study from Romans and in preparation for our Lord's Supper service, we want to talk about sharing God's good gifts. In addition to having received from God abundant mercy, we have received also from God multifaceted abounding grace to serve one another. Multifaceted, meaning God covers so many different things. As He gives me grace and you grace spiritually, my giftedness is different than yours. Even if we had the same exact spiritual gift, it doesn't look the same coming out from one person to the next. It is God's giftedness. And it's multifaceted. And He uses it for the betterment of people for His own glory's sake, and for the enrichment of the church. So God has given this gracious gifting to us. This grace that God has given to you and me is to display His goodness. You've received this gift. You have it. Don't, as the parable depicts, wrap it up in a napkin bury it in the ground, and wait for the Lord's return. The Lord wants us to put it to use. And so that's the text we have before us this morning, Romans chapter 12. Look please with me at verses 6, 7, and 8. Romans 12, verses 6 and following. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now we noted a couple of weeks ago when we looked at this that this is not a comprehensive or an exhaustive listing of the gifts. There is another listing of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, another in Ephesians 4, another in 1 Peter chapter 4. And so this is a sampling of gifts. Even if you take all of those uh, lists and compile them into one, I really think you just have a sampling. God is demonstrating that His gracious endowment upon His people are demonstrated in various ways. And I don't think that even all of those lists compiled, compiled together will give us the whole spectrum of all the things that God is doing through us, His people. Uh, we talked last time about the speaking gifts that are listed in Romans 12. The speaking gifts. Uh, they are prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. We're not going to do a a full recap on that. I just want to summarize the fact that these speaking gifts are used to point people to God's rescuing work. The words that God gifts us with from His Word should always be pointing people to God's rescuing work. We point people to the reality that Jesus satisfies the needy soul. And God uses this pointing of people to Christ to give people eternal life. And He uses these gifts to give us a good foundation to stand on. So God is utilizing all of these things to save people and to solidify people. It's glorious. And we are beneficiaries of God's gifting through the speaking gifts. Secondly, and today we're going to cover two more under the category of the serving gifts. Serving gifts. So we'll talk about two today, and then in a few weeks when we get into the new year, we'll talk about a couple more of these serving gifts. So this morning, we're going to talk about this first general one, which is service. It's the, the Greek term diakonia, diakonos. Uh, it is the idea of service. It's a very broad category. Um, it can include anything from cleaning, grabbing groceries, cutting someone's lawn, making a meal, painting a fence. It can include sitting with someone for coffee. It can include uh, sharing Scripture with someone, praying with someone. It can include physical things. It can include spiritual things. It's serving one another. It's serving God. It's serving the body. It's serving people. All of these things are part of that process. So let's take a look at a sampling of this concept of service found in Acts chapter 6. Just one book to your left. You're in Romans. Take a left to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. It's an excellent sampling of this concept of service to God and one another. Now everyone, every believer is called to serve. Right? We're saved and, and God calls us to minister to one another. So this is a general category. Now, do remember that this is a spiritual gift as well. So we're going to talk about it generally, but keep in the back of your mind the importance that this is also a spiritual gift. So some people are allotted a gracious endowment of this, this ministry of service. It's a special and unique 
manifestation of God's glorious grace. Acts chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Pause right there for a second, just in case you're not aware of what any of that just meant. So, the, the followers of Jesus were located in Jerusalem. Now, God had told them to disperse, to spread out, and to bring the gospel to the four corners of the world. However, it was pretty exciting to be involved in Jerusalem because people were being converted and it was hard to leave. So, not only were the Jews who were being converted there, people heard about all these amazing works of God in other portions and they were coming to Jerusalem. And so Hellenists are Greek people that observed things from a Greek perspective and they came in and they were coming to know Christ as Savior. And now there are just too many people for the apostles to deal with all of them. And so there were complaints. Shocking. Where there are people, there are complaints. That's never been happening ever anywhere on the earth. Well, in Jerusalem it did. I know it doesn't happen in Warwick, but it did in Jerusalem. Complaints. Hey, you know, no one's taking care of my, my aunt or my uncle or my grandmother or whatever the case may be. So a complaint arises. Verse 2. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now this is a glorious scene. We don't have time to talk about all the wonders that are taking place here. We have to mention where God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ are proclaimed. God takes people from darkness and sin and death and provides light and righteousness and eternal life. This is what God does. And that's exactly what we see taking place. They're giving the message of Christ and God is rescuing people. Glorious. There's a problem here. And the, disciples, the apostles recognized this problem. We can't stop preaching the Gospel. We can't stop proclaiming Christ to take care of people's physical needs. But these are real needs and they need to be addressed. So in verse 2, he says, we cannot give up preaching the Word to serve diakoneo. That's our word. To serve table. That's physical service, right? You see that? Verse 4, however, he says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the, see the word ministry? Ministry of the Word. That's diakonia. <laughs> same word. Same root word. 
diakonos, serve. So you see a physical service in verse 2 and a spiritual service in verse 4 in the same context. So when we're talking about the concept of God giving a spiritual gift of service, it can look like making someone a meal. It can look like sweeping a floor. It can look like having coffee with someone. It can look like opening up God's Word and talking with them about the Scriptures. It can, it can look like, hey, let's pray. It can look like sending a text message. You realize that? I, I know that's kind of strange that you can use your spiritual gift for God's glory and the benefit of the body of Christ with a dumb electronic device. But you can. I wouldn't limit it to that. Like I wouldn't say, all right, all of my spiritual giftedness is going to be in my house, at my table, with my device. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it can look like that. It can look like you hear someone has too many leaves in their yard and not in the ability to take care of it. It can look like going over and helping them. There's all kinds of things that it looks like. God has gifted you and I, given us the opportunity, the privilege, to serve Him by serving one another. So I have a question to just kind of evoke some thoughts, hopefully. What does it take to be engaged in the ministry of service? What does it take to be engaged in the ministry of service? I'd say eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to care, mouths to speak, hands to help. All of these are part of it. Um, what the need of the moment might be. might require one of those, two of those, three of those, but it's pretty, pretty basic stuff. We all have some of those items. <laughs> Ears and eyes, mouths, and we all have a heart to care with the compassion that the Lord has demonstrated toward us. We want to have that same type of compassion toward one another. But you know, the biggest requirement is not even listed here. Because these are just physical, uh, mental capabilities. There is a much bigger requirement than this. And it's this question. Am I walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in step with the Holy Spirit? This, this requires for me and for you, when we wake up in the morning, to recognize that our life and our day is not our own. And to go before Him, Lord, help me to see. Help me to hear. Help me to know. Help me to care. Help me to do in accordance with Your purposes. Some people won't even tell you what their problems are. They won't open up. What can you do? Well, you can start going through, through the church directory. I'm going to call every single person until I find that person that has a need. You could do that if you want to. Have at it. Um, but what I would say is, Lord, help me. Help me to see what you have for me today. Help me to see people as your people and as those that you've placed in our pathway for a reason and use me 
Use me to be a channel of your joy and your peace and your kindness and your goodness and your grace to them. And you know, I, I think when we walk with the Lord seeking to be vessels for him, you don't have to look too hard for what he wants you to do. Oftentimes, he brings it right in front of your face. So we walk in the power of the Spirit. We walk completely surrendered to the Lord. That's what we want to do. That's what we need to do. And when we do, the Lord gives us those opportunities for service. Service to Him by serving others. Head back, please, to Romans chapter 12. We're talking about the serving gifts, the first of which is that general word, service. You know, you and I are very well aware that the Lord Jesus is the prime illustration of service. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. Ready? For many. Look. Look. Just a small little church in the city of Warwick, Rhode Island. Look. Jesus Christ has offered Himself to ransom you. Ransom. To pay the price to win you for God. To capture you forever for His glory and your good. To give you life abundantly purposefully, joyfully. He's given us everything. This is all through that glorious servant of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so now head back. You were in Romans 12. Take a look down in verse 8 for just a moment. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. This is our second uh, serving gift for this morning. The one who contributes in generosity. That concept of service here is contribution. Contribution. That word contribution is used five times in the New Testament in various ways. In uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse 11, it's used about material uh, sharing. It says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. There's a spiritual sharing in Romans 1. 11, where he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. I want to share with you some spiritual gift. There's also in uh, Ephesians 4.28 another physical sharing where he says that um, the one that uh, learns to labor with his hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then this one really is, is vital for our concept. Paul lays out a great illustration of what it means to be a contributor or a sharer. Listen to these words from 1 Thessalonians 2. These will be on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. On the screen. Here it comes. I promise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. On the screen. We're waiting. On the screen. Thank you. All right. There it is. I told you it was coming. I'm a prophet. Paul says this, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the Gospel of God, but also our own selves 
because you had become very dear to us. Just, just meditate on that for a moment. We, we came in. We brought to you the life-saving, life-changing Gospel of Christ. And we gave you our very selves. We gave you our own souls in one translation. Our very souls to you. Why? Because our affections for you were that deep. We cared that much that we were willing to give everything that we have for you. The, the Scriptures are, are abundant in this concept. The, the Bible speaks about giving so much. This passage wants to let us know something about not only the giving, but the Spirit The spirit of giving. So look what it says again in verse 8. The one who contributes in generosity. In generosity. The the Greek term for generosity is hoplates. Or hoplates. Sorry, I said it wrong. Hoplates. It's singularness, sincerity, simplicity. You, You know what you get from that? Wholehearted. Singular. I'm not like, you know, I have, you know, I want to help you, but I really want to get something out of this. I'm doing this for you, but really I'm doing it so God will reward me. So God will give me a kickback. You know, I'm going to give so I can get. (laughs) That's that's someone else's theology, all right? We're we're not about the, you know, give God your dime so we can give you a million dollars. This is not the theology that's not in Scripture. However, there is something in Scripture about how the Lord takes care of us in our generosity. That is is a scriptural concept. God cares for us in our singularness when our desire is to serve and worship the Lord by caring for His people in generosity. So let's take a look at a couple of illustrations of this, both of them in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 6. In verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. (laughs) Don't miss the extremes of verse 2. This is absolutely breathtaking. I'm going to read it again. Verse 2. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of... What's the next word? Grace. 
There's a lot of grace going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because these people were absolutely impoverished, severely afflicted or tested, and yet they had joy and they were generous. That's grace. You can't do that. I can't do that. I can't make myself joyful while in affliction. And I can't make myself generous while being in poverty. It's not going to happen. This is a grace work. Grace means God empowering, God bestowing, God giving, God enriching. This is all about the Lord's power. And it's seen in such a beautiful way in this passage. But what I have you here for is to see that word in verse 2, generosity. In the wealth of generosity. Where did that generosity flow from? They gave themselves to the Lord. And when they gave themselves to the Lord, that means everything they had was His. And so they thought, I I really can't lose right now. Um, I'm God's. I belong to God If I belong to God, what have I to fear? (laughs) The answer is nothing. They had given themselves to the Lord, so they didn't worry about what was next. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 9. It's more illustration of the same concept. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 1. Now, this is one of my favorite words. Now it is superfluous. Uh-huh. What do you mean? I don't even have to say this. You already know this. I'm going to say it anyway. It's superfluous. You already know this. It, now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. Look down at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you uh, and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Have you noticed that we don't send an offering plate around? There's nothing wrong with sending an offering plate around. But have you noticed that we don't do that? Have you noticed, I don't know how many weeks you've been coming, but like, if you've been coming for a year, you've probably heard me talk about giving once or twice. Because this isn't about like trying to suck everything out of you. There are enough churches around that want to suck everything out of you. Our goal is to offer you Uh, what God has to offer, and those that have received from the Lord (laughs) are happy to give back to Him a portion of what He has entrusted to them. It's it's a good thing. So he says, this is not not an extraction, it's a willing gift. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to you. That's not what it says. Look, you gave so much. Thank you so much. No. It'll increase and abound to thanksgiving to God because people will know this is from Him. This is from Him. This is about Him. What silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's what Peter said, right? As the guy came up to them, or they walked by the guy, hey, give me something, something. No, I don't, I'm, it's not about money here. What I can give, what I have, I give. God can do this. Now, I can't make anyone rise up and walk. Wish I could, because if I could, I'd be, I'd be down there doing that. Um, but I can give some people something better. I can give them Christ. Well, I can offer them Christ. I can give them, I can offer them Christ, because he's already willingly offered himself. Offer them. You know? When we give for the Lord's sake, it's got to be obvious that it's the Lord. It's all about the Lord. We do good deeds, right? Matthew 5, 1 Peter 2. We don't do good deeds to get a pat on the back or an attaboy. We want to reflect our Father in heaven so that people will praise our Father in heaven. Let your light so shine upon earth that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what we want to do. This is the delight of our souls. And we do so even in this concept of generosity. You know, the Bible talks so much about giving, but there is a tendency, this is a natural tendency, for us to hoard for ourselves. Isn't there? All right. Anyone in here ever play Monopoly? Raise your hand. Play Monopoly. All right. Do you play like the old version where there's paper money? Raise your hand. Paper money. Monopoly. Now, if you've got like the new, I don't know if the new one has Venmo or what it is, Cash App, what, how they do that. But the versions that I've played most are the ones with the paper money. Have you ever noticed that the banker usually has plenty of money? You ever suspicious? How come you still have money? I'm running out. Yeah, because that banker's slipping a few for himself. <laughs> Maybe not, but you're at least suspicious. Um, you know, this is one of our tendencies. And yet, while we can be selfish and stingy and hoarding of our resources, there's another element of our being that can come out. I want to think about this for a couple of moments because there's something that is ingrained in us in addition to the evil side of our hoarding and stinginess. There's a certain amount of joy that we experience in giving. There, there's a certain amount of joy that even someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior gets out of giving. You know, Jesus is quoted in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35 as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, what is that all about? Why is it that while I might have a tendency to hoard and be selfish with my stuff, why is it that when I give to help someone that I feel good, that I feel better, 
There's a reason for that, I, I believe, that is associated with the fact that we've been made in God's image. And not just believers, not just born-again believers, everyone that walks the face of the earth is made in God's image. And there's something in us that is satisfied when we reflect an element of God's nature. And so even an unbeliever may find satisfaction in giving, and certainly as believers, we do. We thrive when we reflect God's character. And God's nature is one of giving. He's a giving God. Think about this with me. In James chapter 1 and verse 17, this verse comes to my mind regularly. I hope it comes to yours as well. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a giver of good and perfect gifts. Take a look at Matthew. Take a left. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go through 1 Corinthians. You'll go through Romans. You'll find Acts. Then you'll find John and Luke and Mark. And finally you'll get to Matthew. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God gives good gifts. It's part of His nature. He's giving I want you to think about Psalm 84.11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is a giver. And you know what, what He gives us that's the absolute best? Take a look at Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, he's talking about a man named Abraham whom God justified based upon his faith. And Abraham, when he was 75 years old, God made a promise he was going to send through him and his wife Sarah, or Sarai, a child. But I don't know if you know this about 75-year-olds and but their reproductive days are generally not before them. Instead, they're behind them. And so at 75, he makes the promise, right? And then at 90, and then at 100. But Abraham's reproductive functions are dead. But God gave life where there was death. And God uses that illustration through Paul in Romans chapter 4 to talk not about the arrival of Isaac, 
but the arrival of real life. In Romans chapter 4, look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. You see the word gives life to the dead. This is what God does. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God gave life. This is the glory of the Gospel. He does it again and again and again. People for generations and years and centuries and millennia have been being saved by the glorious grace of a giving God who gives life when people themselves are dead and when people themselves deserve death. That's me. I deserve death. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But God, God gives life. He gives real life, eternal life, abundant life. God is a giver by His nature. You're in Romans 4. Take a look at Romans 8. This will be our last verse of Scripture before we celebrate the Lord's table together. Try to fathom, if you will, the gravity of what is said in Romans 8.32. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? He uses this Greek method of the smaller to the greater. Smaller to the greater. Or, sorry, from the greater, sorry, I said it wrong, said it backwards. From the greater to the lesser. God has given us the greatest gift in His Son. All the other stuff is little Trinkets and gravy all along the way. Garnishes. He's given us everything. We have everything when we have Christ. God's nature is that of being a giver. And as those that are made in God's image, it is satisfying to be a generous giver. In the context of our study of Romans 12 and verse 8, Generous contribution is a gift received and a gift distributed. So I want you to think about this. In that context, it is a gift to be a giver. It is a gift to be a giver. 